this morning's passage is found in the book of First Timothy. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to chapter 1. It will be on the screens behind me. <clears throat> and we're going to look together this morning at verses 12 through 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 17. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Will you pray with me? O oh Lord, Father in heaven, you are glorious. You are the reason we can say it is well with our souls. You've offered us mercy and grace. Help us to receive that this morning through the preaching of your word, through the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Speak to us now. Please move me aside, Father. Let it only be your words. Bind my tongue and my lips. That your truth may come out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I think all of us, if we're honest, we all have sort of a rating system for sin. We have a scale of sin. You know, at, at the beginning, you have these little baby sins that, that most people don't even consider to be sin, right? You've got things like, like telling white lies, okay, or, or stealing a pen from a place of business because you need a new pen. Or how about for anyone in the room who's at least 25 years old, I know you all did this downloading and pirating music for free. Please raise your hand if you did that. Jason, I know you downloaded illegal music. Come on. Now, I actually did not, but you know me. I'm a rule follower. Uh, and, but it, it's, it came from my dad. I remember uh, one year for my birthday, one of my friends, had, he had a, some, some music albums, and he ripped a couple of copies for me of a couple of his favorite CDs, and he gave them to me for my birthday. Uh, very nice birthday present, put a lot into it. And, uh, and my dad made me throw them into the trash can because they were not paid for by me. Those copies were illegal, so I threw them away. Um, 
So we, we got these baby sins at the beginning of our scale, right? And at the end, you have things much more serious, like murder, kidnapping, rape, and things that, that we don't need to go into detail on that are even worse-sounding sins. So I would say that I grew up fairly sheltered, uh, and probably the back, like, there's probably a 60% chunk of my rating system that was just missing. Let me tell you what I mean. I thought that the, the little baby sins were really bad. When I was around 10 years old, a friend of mine pulled me aside and he said, Hey, Zach, guess what? I said, What? He said, Yesterday on the church trip to Adventure Bay Water Park in Sugarland. I was on the lazy river, and I was, I was floating next to Angela Leather. And we went around the corner, and the chaperones were still on the other side, and we held hands. And I was horrified. You did what? You are going straight to hell, my friend. You better repent of that. My scale of sin was a little skewed. <laughs> so here in 1 Timothy, we have Paul. And we're going to do a little character study on Paul. In verse 12, it says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me to be trustworthy and appointed me to his service. So Paul says, Jesus said I was worthy of his trust and he gave me a job. What job was Paul given? Well, Paul was given the job of caring for and building the church amongst the Gentiles. And so he was sent, he was a discipler, a church planner. Not only did he plant churches, but he would shepherd them, sending them many letters. It makes up most of our New Testament to guide them in their growth and their ups and downs. But if we go back into Paul's history, I want us to look and see if we agree with Jesus that Paul is, should be considered trustworthy. So the first time we meet Paul, his name is Saul, and his name later gets changed. That's another sermon for another time from Saul to Paul as his identity is changed and he's redeemed. But Saul here, we'll call him Saul while we're in Acts, Paul while we're in Timothy. The first time we meet Saul, he is uh, in a Jewish town, and he is observing a man named Stephen being stoned. So to be stoned, the, the crowd would gather around. They would throw big rocks at this man until he was beaten, bruised, and eventually died. And Stephen was being stoned because he was not going to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. And the leaders of the synagogue didn't appreciate that. And so he was being stoned, and Saul is watching, and everyone who's participating in the stoning, they don't want to get their clothes dirty, so they come and they set their coats by Saul... And he watches over them. And it says, after Stephen has passed from this life to the next, it says that Saul approved of their killing them, killing him. And then in chapter 8, verse 3, we get Saul's first character witness, character trait. So imagine you're interviewing him for a job because it says Jesus gave him a job. Let's see, this is his first reference. Okay, Mr. Saul. So it says here in, in your first reference, Acts 8, verse 3, that 
that you began to destroy the church. Continuing on in Saul's life, chapter 9, verse 1, it says that Saul is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. What we know about Saul at this time is he was literally going from town to town, hunting down Christians, both men and women, dragging them from their houses, throwing them in jail, or putting them to death. And he continued to breathe out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. But if it couldn't get any worse, we get to chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, and Saul is on the road to Damascus on his way to kill more Christians when a light, a blinding light from heaven flashes out and blinds him, and a voice comes down from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So if it wasn't bad enough that Saul was persecuting Christian men and women, who does the text say he's really persecuting? The voice goes on when Saul says, Who are you, Lord? The voice goes on to say, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Saul's references, his character references of if he's worthy of trust, destroy the church, murderous threats against Christians, and persecuting not just human believers, but persecuting Jesus directly. So back to 1 Timothy. Jesus considered Paul trustworthy and gave him a job to care for the church. That is madness. Okay, it'd be like this. I'm going to create a hypothetical scenario for you, so hypothetical that, that it could never happen, so you don't have to worry about it. But let's just say for a minute there was a global pandemic. Okay? Man, y'all are all wearing masks. It's, it's not hypothetical enough. Um, global pandemic, so bad that your kids... Not all of them can go to school. Some of them have to stay home and be homeschooled. And so you say, you know what? My kids are staying home to be homeschooled, but I ain't going to teach them. I know how that is. I'm going to hire a teacher to come in and homeschool my kids. And so you say, okay, where are we going to look for a teacher? Well, I got an idea. I got a brilliant idea. Let's go to the prison registries and look through all the people who have been incarcerated because they have kidnapped kids, they're pedophiles. It's a great idea. We'll find a great, trustworthy teacher for this job to, to take care of our kids. You would never, ever do that. And yet Jesus picked out Paul, the one who was persecuting Christians, killing them, breathing out murderous threats, persecuting himself, Jesus himself, and he picked him out and he gave him a job and said, I want you to care for the church. You are worthy of my trust with my church, my kids. Why did Jesus do that? Paul knows that this is ludicrous. He goes on in verse 13 after he says, He appointed me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. 
I blaspheme the church. That means to speak in a, a condescending way, making fun of God. A persecutor of Christians, but not just making fun of Christians, a violent persecutor of Christians. He knows he was not worthy of the trust of Jesus. And he doesn't tell us why just yet in verse 14. He doesn't tell us why Jesus picked him, but he does tell us how. Paul says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Abundantly. It is by grace that Jesus saves and redeems. Now, Paul has already told us in verse 13, he says that I was shown mercy. Now in 14, he says, grace was poured out on me abundantly. Now, is this a redundant statement from Paul? The answer is no. It's not a redundant statement. There's a difference between mercy and grace that makes it worth mentioning from Paul. And I'm going to tell you a story to demonstrate. Imagine this. Imagine, uh, imagine Pastor Jason gave you a job and said, uh, because of something that you have done, if you want to still get to heaven, you've got to mow the church lawn, okay? All by yourself with a push mower. And, and you got to do it in August, okay? You, you ever worked out in the August Texas heat? It's miserable, okay? So you're mowing this big church lawn, push mower, all by yourself, and you begin to sweat and sweat, and you are getting exhausted. The sun is beating down on your shoulders, and you think, man, I'm so hot, so tired, I'm about to die. But if I got to get to heaven, Pastor Jason said, I got to mow this lawn, so I'm going to keep going. Not only are you exhausted, but you begin, you've been working so hard, you begin to get ravenously hungry, okay, and you're parched. You don't have a drink. So this is Mercy. Pastor Jason shows up at around noon. He sees how exhausted you are, how worn down you are, and he says, hey, brother, hey, sister, you've been working really hard. You can stop. It's lunchtime. Over that way, you got Whataburger, Chick-fil-A, Laredo Taco. You got some good meal options. They got some nice cold drinks. Take a break. In fact, I'm going to lift this consequence from you. You don't have to mow the church lawn anymore, uh, and you could still go to heaven. And he shows you where everything is, and he says, go in peace. That's mercy. What about grace? Well, grace, it, it might look something like this. Pastor Jason shows up. You're worn down and exhausted, and he shows up. He doesn't just show you where the food is. He shows up. He says, hey, why don't you take a break? Man, you look tired. I, hey, I brought you some lunch. I brought you options from all three restaurants. You can take your pick. You can eat all of it if you want. Here's a, a cold Gatorade to, to fill up, restore your electrolytes. Why don't you come in my office, take a break in the AC. You can eat your meal. You don't have to mow the lawn anymore. And you know what I'm going to do? While you're eating your lunch, I'm going to mow the yard for you. I'm going to finish it. That's grace. In the text... Paul says that he was shown mercy. It means he got to see it. But what does he say about grace in verse 14? He says that the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. He wasn't just shown it. He was immersed in grace. 
Here's the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is all about not receiving the punishment that you do deserve. Y'all with me? Mercy is all about not receiving the punishment that you do deserve. It's really good. It's a great gift. Grace. Grace is all about receiving the gifts that you don't deserve. Y'all see the difference? So back to the text in verse 15. Paul continues with a gospel message. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. That, that word trustworthy, it was used by Paul just a couple of verses ago. It's almost like he was saying, Jesus considered me to be trustworthy, even though I really wasn't. But here, here is a trustworthy saying. It deserves your full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says, of whom I am the worst. Back to that in a minute. Then we get the why, right? We got the how. Jesus did it through grace. Here comes the why. Why did Jesus pick Paul? Paul says, but for this, that very reason, because I'm the worst among the sinners, for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his immense patience as an example as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life and then Paul offers the only possible response for someone who has an appropriate relationship with sin and grace sin and forgiveness and he worships he says this phrase that sounds like the end of the letter. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This ain't even the end of the first chapter. Okay, but it sounds like the end of the letter. And you know why Paul does that? He is overcome. He's overcome by what God has done for him. Now, there might be a few different types of listeners in the room right now. Some of you might hear about how Jesus intentionally picked out the worst sinner to save him as an example because you think, oh man, I'm the worst sinner too. And that's why Jesus picked Paul. It's so that I could be saved so that I would have confidence in the grace of God that it's powerful enough to save Paul, it's powerful enough to save me. And you might be worshiping in your heart right now because you can't help it. <clears throat> there might be some of you in the room right now that are hearing this message and it's just kind of rolling off your back. Okay, what's, what, what's next? And if you're in that category, maybe you wish you were in the first category, or maybe you wish we just get on to the next thing and stop talking about sin. This is where a character study on Paul is even more important for us today. 
because Paul has demonstrated for us in 1 Timothy chapter 1 an appropriate relationship with his sin and with the forgiveness and the grace that he's received in Christ Jesus. And to show you what I'm talking about. I, uh, I wanted to do a Venn diagram to, dis- to display this, uh, but by the time the Lord revealed this to me, the only one I could find that would work was $14.95 a month. And uh, just to be honest, I, I didn't think it was worth $14.95 a month because I'm going to paint the picture for you in your minds, okay? So visual learners, get with me in your imagination. A Venn diagram, for those who don't know, it's those pictures with two circles, and there's, a, there's an overlap. So you got a circle over here, circle over here, and you got some in the middle where it's both, okay? So in this circle right here, in your imagination, I want you to put at the top the word sin. And for Paul in the sin category, we have blasphemer, we have persecutor, we have violent man, And at the very bottom, in all caps, we have the worst. Okay? Then in this other side of the Venn diagram, at the top in your mind, I want you to put the word forgiveness. Okay? Forgiveness. And under forgiveness, we have considered trustworthy. And we have shown mercy. Okay. Then we have abundant grace. And at the very bottom in in all caps, we have eternal life. Okay. Now we have a tendency to stay in either one camp or the other. All right, and if you stay in the sin camp exclusively, you will be covered in shame. You will be paralyzed by fear. You will be overwhelmed by grief, and you will say, God could never use me for anything. God doesn't care, wouldn't want to save me, shouldn't want to save me. But if we live in forgiveness exclusively, you might think, well, who cares if I sin? I've been forgiven. Who cares what I've done? I've been forgiven. My sin doesn't need to affect me. You're not not grieved by your sin at all, and so you don't repent. You don't turn away from your sin. But what happens when we take both, and we overlay them one on top of the other. When we have an appropriate relationship with our sin and an appropriate relationship with our forgiveness, with grace, you know what you get? Two things. In the middle of your Venn diagram, I want you to put Saved, then I want you to put called. Saved and called. 
this is where we are supposed to live as believers in Jesus. And so many of you in this room are so stuck in the sin camp that you think, there's no way Jesus wants to save me. Or maybe, maybe you can come to terms, you have enough grace to come to terms with the fact that Jesus wants to save you. But you don't have enough grace, a, a strong enough understanding of grace to believe that Jesus wants to appoint you to his service. And you say, well, I'm just not the type of person that's going to evangelize. I'm, I'm not the type of person that can have a conversation with someone and turn it to spiritual things and share the gospel. That's just not me. Okay? I, I can't pray out loud with people because I'm not good enough at praying out loud. The root of that, brothers and sisters, is an inadequate understanding of God's grace. Because it's not any of your merit that makes you trustworthy or untrustworthy to be saved and to be appointed to the service of Jesus. No, Jesus is the one who said, I consider you, Paul, you persecutor of Christians, you persecutor of me, you violent man, you wicked man, I consider you to be trustworthy for the care of the people that you've been killing. And I'm going to choose you because I want to show everyone else that they too can be saved and they too are called. To the believers in the room, you have been saved. You are called. I'm going to say this as clearly as I can. If you are a believer listening to this message, you have a calling on your life to share the gospel of Jesus with unbelievers all across the world. God has given you a job. If you are a believer, God has given you a job. And if you're struggling with fear about fulfilling that job, anxiety or doubt, that's when you need to pray. Only God can change hearts. You can't overcome it yourself. You pray and ask God, God, give me the faith. Give me the skills. Give me the words. And then you obey. Because guess what? I've lived through a lot of trials. And God usually doesn't give you the faith beforehand. If you've been through a trial, you know God gives you the faith once you need it. That's what faith is. That's what trust is. And when you are not trustworthy, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. So trustworthy that when you hear God say something, you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it is true. If God says this person is trustworthy, then it is. Independent of their life's works. Independent of the fruit of their past. If God says they're trustworthy, they are. And God has given you a job, believer. 
And he gives a job to the person that he trusts with that job. So don't just live in your sin. Pray for a deeper and fuller understanding of grace so that you can have a relationship with your sin in light of, through the lens of, the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read one more passage. This is Ephesians chapter 2. And if you're brave enough, I'm going to pray. If you're brave enough, pray that God will give you a proper and full understanding of your sin and a proper and full understanding of grace as a lens through which you can view your identity. And if you're brave enough, pray along with me that God will show you that you are called. Father, as we read this passage, just pray this with me in your heart if you're willing. Give me a proper relationship with my sin. And Father, give me a proper relationship with your forgiveness and grace. So that I might have a proper understanding of my salvation and my calling. Let these words wash over you. <clears throat> As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This is the devil. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. That is sin. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath from God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up. There are no qualifiers on this except that you are a believer. It's not you're a believer who's a pastor. Not that you're a believer who's a good talker or outgoing. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, not just those who are naturally good people. And he did this in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. How did he do this? He expressed it in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Because he sent his one and only son to die for you. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Brothers and sisters, let's not lose verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. He made us, and we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. For us to do. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your word has power and your spirit is in this place. extending an offering of grace and showing us mercy. Help us have the faith to walk out seemingly unprotected and unprepared to receive your grace and your mercy. Give us that faith to know that we are saved to all who believe in his name, the name of Jesus, and that we are called. We ask this in that name of Jesus.